You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Well, hey, hey, real ones. This is Dana Shea. I have such a treat for you today. I have on the show with us Sathya Sam, who has written a book and who has dedicated really his life to helping men and women to overcome pornography addiction in their relationships and in their life. So this is a topic that I'm very passionate about because I have seen porn's devastation in many a marriage. I have coached and sat with couples who thought this was the greatest thing in the world since sliced bread. And they thought that it was making their sex life all the better. You all, this is a very serious topic. And I love the fact that Cynthia has just brought such a pureness to this conversation. Um, It's not convoluted. It's not complicated. It's non-judgmental. So if you are a man or a woman and you are dealing with pornography in any way, you are not going to be judged here. We are not going to throw platitudes at you and we're not going to give you a 12-step process to stop. And so I love um, just the the depth that Scythia has and the fact that he has struggled with this himself. Before we actually jumped on the recording, we were just kind of catching up and getting to know each other a little bit. And I told him after we finished recording, I said, I am so grateful to have had you on the show because there are a million people that I could have had on this podcast to talk about this. But the fact that not only does he coach other men and not only has he written books, he is an expert, but he has also been personally touched by the issue of pornography. Now, some of you might be listening just because you're a faithful listener of the podcast. You listen to every episode and you might be thinking, well, this episode really isn't for me. I'm kind of listening to this for my neighbor, for my weird perverted coworker who needs to listen to this. Let me tell you something. Most, if not all of us, have been affected by pornography in one way or another. I share a story in the show when I was 11 years old and how I, or 10 years old, when I would look at flicks at my girlfriend's house, you know, uh, when her parents weren't home because we didn't have anything else to do after school other than to watch little porn videos. And I was 10 years old, you know, and then being a parent and watching my children go through their own journey of this. And it's something that we should not be ashamed to talk about. That's one of the things, again, that I really appreciate about Scythia is that he holds the line. He has the standard, right? But he's not judgmental. And one of the things that he talks about in the episode is how we need to be a safe place for our children. So if you're a parent watching or listening to this, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to this, you need to understand that safety is what we're all after. And the moment that your husband, your wife, your child, whoever feels judged and shamed by you is the moment you will lose their heart and their trust. They will not confide in you. And so he's going to give us some great tips as far as how we can help those in our lives to be able to overcome this. So I don't want to belabor the point any longer. I'm so excited for you guys to meet Cynthia and for you to hear the wealth of knowledge that he brings to this very important conversation about pornography. Let's jump in. All right, Cynthia. Well, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I know most people probably wouldn't put porn in excited and Christian (laughs) (laughs) 
in the same <laughs> sentence, but I am. <laughs> so thank you so yeah, much well, for being with us. Well, th- thanks for having me, Dana. Like I said, it's not the most exciting conversation in the world, but somebody's got to do it. And uh, kudos to you for being brave enough to have me on the podcast here. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, you know, it not being the most exciting conversation in the world, how did you get into this line of work? What made you decide, I'm going to dedicate my life to helping people overcome pornography addiction? Yeah, this was not the thing I set out to do when I was growing up as a kid. Um, I personally had bigger ambitions of being a pizza delivery boy. So that was my big goal. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I fell into pornography when I was 11 years old, got exposed to it in the computer lab of my Christian school. And it wasn't like um, a full-blown addiction the next day. It just planted a seed. And as I started to develop sexually in my high school years, I started to turn to pornography more regularly. That was sort of when the internet was becoming mainstream. And by the time I was in u- university, I was really high achieving, hardworking, and porn for me was my reward at the end of the day and my relief for just taking the edge off of the stress of pursuing an education. So that's when I was really properly addicted. Uh, in university, I was studying the sciences. So it's ironically also where I met Jesus. Um, I had, you know, grown up in the faith, was a pastor's kid and all that, but that was where I really took ownership of it. And, I knew, like I, I knew what came with the territory. When you commit your life to Christ, um, you give everything. Everything goes on the altar, yourself included. And I knew that meant some lifestyle adjustments, one of which was pornography. And all the other lifestyle adjustments were easy. Um, you know, drinking responsibly, cleaning up my language, uh, being a bit more careful about who I spent time with. But I couldn't for the life of me shake porn. And that's when I really knew I had a problem. So uh, that began another five years of really pursuing recovery and freedom and healing. I tried a lot of the mainstream solutions, which for me did not elicit much result. Um, it wasn't really until I got to the heart of the issue and really did some more, um, I don't know, deep inner work. That's when I really started to experience breakthrough in uh, that area and a whole bunch of other areas. And when I did start to discover that, I was like, why is nobody talking about this? Like everybody's just talking about putting a filter on your phone or having an accountability partner, confessing to your like pastor or whatever. Um, but this was so impactful for me that I was like, okay, when I do get fully free, I'll do everything in my power to get the word out and help as many other people as possible. And uh, in a bit of a nutshell, that's kind of what's led me to do the work I do now. I love that. You know, we have a similar story, not in the fact that we've gone through porn. Like I told you before, like we, John and I've gone through almost every other marriage issue, but we haven't struggled with porn. But I know that like when we went through like our infidelity and just our crazy marriage stuff, like that was really my heart was if God, I said, Lord, if you deliver us from this, I will dedicate my life to helping other people not go through this. I want to kind of backtrack a little bit to your story, Cynthia, because you, you discovered porn at 11 years old, which a lot of kids do, especially nowadays with the internet and social media and I mean it's like it's it inundates these kids how did you when you were that young did you find yourself like hiding it at that point or was it just kind of something that you would do just kind of every now and again um you talked about a seed being planted was there also like a seed of shame or like I need to lie or cover this up was that present when you were 11 Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't know. I mean, unless the parents are doing a really good job, which I think, thankfully, we're more aware of this problem and parents are getting equipped. But generally speaking, you get exposed, you know, it's wrong. And um, for me, I was very hidden about it. I think growing up in a pastor's home as well, like there's a, a different set of expectations on you, even just how you behave and how you perform and all that. So yeah, any kind of blemish or fault definitely had to stay under wraps. And this was no exception. And of course, as it blossomed and became became more of a problem, um, then you just you hide it more and more and more. 
And that was sort of the age of personal devices because like when I first got exposed, it was like everybody had a single computer in their house. Remember those days? Like it was in the family room or whatever. So, um, I mean, that was kind of a blessing in disguise. Like I, I think it's a lot harder growing up when you have your own smartphone, but certainly as personal devices developed, then, um, it was a lot easier to hide and to kind of stay anonymous about my addiction. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I remember when I was in sixth grade, so I would have been 10 because I'd skipped a grade. So I was a year younger, but I was in sixth grade. And one of my friends, we used to, after school, would go to her house and her dad had a whole library of all these porn flicks. And I remember yeah. like liking to watch those those movies. I would, I never would say that I was addicted to porn. It wasn't something that I watched on the regular, but whenever I would go to her house, I knew we were going to sit there. And that was kind of the way that we were educating ourselves about what sex was. That's so, crazy. Cynthia, how would you, how would you advise parents who maybe they have no idea that their sweet, innocent little children are looking at porn? Most parents don't. Most parents have no idea that their kids are watching this. If you as a parent discover that your child is watching porn, what is the best approach? Great question. So I'm going to answer that, but I have to ask, what grade did you skip? I skipped second grade. No way. I skipped grade two as well. Really? Yeah, for real. (laughs) That's so cool. <laughs> super random. And my wife did too, actually. Super random. Anyway. Um, okay. So for starters, uh, for a parent, you parents should know the average age of first exposure is still 11 years old. It hasn't really changed even with um, the spread of the smart device. What has changed is by the time somebody turns 18 today, there's a 93% chance that they've watched porn in the last year. Mm-hmm. Like the last year from when they turned 18. In other words, like there's regular consumption going on generally by the time you hit that age. So it's no longer a question of if they get exposed, it is a question of when. Um, my first exposure was not by choice. So I'm not suggesting that your kids are like monsters just trying to find porn. Generally, um, like the porn industry knows, they know how to groom people. They know how to put the little clickbait around that kind of one thing leads to another. And before you know it, little Johnny's getting exposed to porn. So um, it is important to have that mindset just to be aware that it's so rampant in our culture today that you really do have to be guarded about it. And it is all the more reason to have the conversations early and often. Um, there's a there's a law of first mention. I don't know if, if anyone on your podcast has ever talked about this, Dana. But the idea is that whatever you hear first on any subject um, becomes the standard that you compare everything else to after. Whether it's right or wrong, um, our brains just always take that first piece of information and kind of use it as the measuring stick. So if porn is uh, the first exposure to someone's um, experience of sex, that means even if they hear the truth, they hear Bible-based truth and whatever else, but their first exposure is pornography, everything they hear after that gets compared to the first mention. So when the first mention happens by the parent, it's unbelievably powerful uh, because the parent is not some random website. There's already high fidelity in the relationship. And what it does is, number one, you get a chance to install the truth so that when they do get exposed to pornography, they'll, they'll actually come to you and say, I saw this today, which um, like I have friends who have parented their kids this way. And those are real experiences. Like this is not some idealistic scenario. It does actually happen. But secondly, they understand that talking to you about sex and anything sexually related is safe. And that's really critical as they start to develop in their sexuality because, of course, there's more questions, they make more decisions, and they're going to need to go to places to find more answers and have that dialogue. And the safer you are in those early stages, the better chance you have of them coming back to you. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest suggestion is have the conversation 
And the more relaxed and the more con- uh, controlled you are about it, um, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I will tell you, I have three boys and a girl. And yeah. so with my first son, you know, I I discovered that he was looking at porn and he was like nine, nine, 10 years old, he's young. And mm. I was blown away because first of all, he's a baby, you know, in my mind. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God, you know? And I think for so many parents who wait, I love that you mentioned the law of first mention. We know that as a theological term, right? Like in the Bible, if something is mentioned first, but I've never heard it in this regard. So thank you for bringing that up. But I know with my oldest, you know, I freaked out when I found out he was punished. I went to the the whole extreme of like, this is a sin. This is wrong. You know, and, and I really went overboard. So God was like, okay, I'm gonna give you three more chances to get this right. You know, I've got three mm. more kids. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I used to be, honestly, I used to be ashamed to say like, oh yeah, I've caught some of the other kids on it. But I think what I've learned as a parent, is that when you spoke about having a safe place, that is so important, not just in the area of porn, but in the area of even, you know, your your children dibbling in, into other sexual activities or drugs or whatever it is. Like if you as a parent can be a safe place, doesn't mean yeah, that yeah. you are going to approve of what they're doing. But if you freak out and punish them, then what that's going to do, it's going to produce a seed of shame in them. And yeah. that is a, a big regret that I have with my oldest is that, you know, I shamed him for this. He's nine. You know, he he didn't know. I mean, he knew it was wrong, but there was a lot more teaching that I could have done. And so I've had other opportunities. And I think one of the things I was actually talking about this with um, a coworker, and I was telling her about how important it is for your children to be able to trust in you, even when they're at their worst that they can trust that you as a parent, you're not going to discard them. You're not going to reject them. And I just think it's the love of the father, you know, like the love of God, the father, he doesn't discard us or reject us when we mess up. And so we have had better, much better conversations with our other kids about, okay, let's talk about why, first of all, what led you to this? And it is just like you said, Cynthia, it's, I was on my computer and this thing popped up. You know, it wasn't even that they were looking for it, but of course it's enticing. I mean, we'd be lying to say that it's not intriguing. It's not enticing. And so that led them on this whole path. And I think that whether you're a 10 year old boy or whether you're a 30 year old man, you know, that shame that is produced, I was reading somewhere that shame, uh, it shame actually uh, feeds porn and porn feeds shame. So it's like this ugly Mm. cycle, you know, that continues. And so when did you, you said you were about 18, you know, you gave your heart to the Lord. You knew that there are some things that I'm going to have to give. I'm going to have to surrender to the Lord. But this was like that one thing that was really hard. How long of a process for you did it take for you to finally give this up? So honestly, it was probably about five years altogether. Uh, the first two years of that, I I was really guessing. Like like I said, I installed internet filters. I had an accountability partner. I kind of, I did the things that you were supposed to do in theory, but I would say my heart wasn't really in it. And to be honest, a lot of those solutions are much more behaviorally focused. So they're great starting points, but they're really incomplete solutions. It wasn't until I started to do the work. So like, um, I would say recovering from parts of my past where I had unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, those kinds of things. And then really learning to see myself the way God sees me. Those are two huge things. And you were just talking about the love of the father. Uh, for me, like really understanding the unconditional accepting love of God at a heart level, that changed a lot for me because uh, a lot of guys who struggle with porn, you know, they slap labels on themselves really quickly. Like we're very quick 
to condemn ourselves for doing something that we know we shouldn't do. So we call ourselves perverts and, and whatever else, like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm so messed up. Why do I do this? But as long as you believe you're a pervert, you will watch porn by faith, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it literally comes with the identity title. Um, so learning to see myself the way God does really start to change my decision making, my thinking patterns and everything else. Um, and so, yeah, it, that took a little bit more time for sure, but it was five years altogether. And I, I really did purpose in my heart, Dana, like, I don't think every guy needs to take five years before they finally get free. I think it can happen much more quickly, but I had to do some guesswork to kind of figure out what actually pushes the needle forward. So uh, it took me a little bit more time, but the guys that we work with now, thank God, they're um, they're able to experience that freedom in a, a shorter period than that. Yeah. I love how you distinguish between behavior modification and then like heart transformation, because yes. even the word accountability, I think that word can be so muddled by so many different people, like what is real accountability? Like technically I can just lie. I can just say (laughs) I didn't eat the cookies today. You know what I mean? Like if if I'm dealing with like a weight issue or food, too many sweets, whatever. So do you think then that programs like Covenant Eyes or um, this is not an endorsement for Covenant Eyes, even though I believe that it's great, um, but programs like that or having an accountability partner, like do you believe that they're useful if someone's heart hasn't changed or do you think that that feeds this like rebellious spirit? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it, it honestly depends on the individual, but I think when covenant eyes is done correctly, it's actually a catalyst for conversation. And to me, like there could be nothing better, you know, because I think it is in conversation and having meaningful connection with other people. That's where true health takes place anyway. Like, um, like true healing really comes from that heart connection with the father. But of course that's going to leak out into all the other connections in your life. Um, and that's where the accountability piece comes in as well. Like we often say here, the best accountability is preventative in nature. So a lot of accountability systems are like, Hey, I messed up again. Pray for me or let's talk it through. My interest personally is let's, let's actually have the conversations earlier. Um, let's talk about regular day to day life, the stressors, the challenges of life. Um, when you have those conversations regularly kind of baked into your life, you're a lot less likely to go down that path that leads to a poor decision, whether it's pornography or something else. And, you know, we're talking to a lot of married people here. So I often tell people in a marriage context, I would rather confess a temptation than confess a mistake. Mm. So that's what I mean by preventative accountability. You're trying to get ahead of the, ahead of the curve, so to speak, and have those ongoing conversations. You're forming meaningful connection. You're sharing on a heart level. That's always going to be the best kind of accountability you can have in a relationship. I'm so glad you brought that out. My question to you is going to be, do you think that married men should be accountable to should have their wives as their accountability partner if they're struggling with pornography? Ooh. Um, so my quick answer is no, I think it's a really bad idea, but I do, I, I don't, I think men could hear that and say, Oh, perfect. I don't have to talk to her about it. And I'm not saying that either. Right. So I think you should have, you should have somebody who's actually brave enough to ask you the really hard questions. I think when your wife is the accountability partner, and like rightfully so, when a wife sees that her partner's struggling, um, her her main priority is to make sure that she's safe and she's protected. Like, okay, what are you doing about it? Uh, like, how much have you watched or whatever? Like, they want to understand it a little bit. But their main priority is like, do I feel safe in this relationship? And what's going to be required for me to feel safe again? That's not really what affects change long term for the guy who's struggling with porn. He actually needs to be asked the hard questions of like, why did you do that? What was actually going on in your head? Um, what are you going to do differently next time to make sure it doesn't happen? He needs to be coached through it. He needs to be kind of poked and prodded a little bit. So that's why I think 
um, as the husband, you owe those conversations to your wife. It's like, welcome to marriage. That's part of a covenant relationship. You have the conversations, but you should also have an accountability partner who's going to be there and uh, going to be able to come from it from a different angle. It's good. All right. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, Cynthia. And these are not my own views, but I'm thinking about couples who are listening to this right now because we do have men who listen to the podcast as well. And we also know that women also struggle with pornography. So we don't want to just say it's a men's issue. But what do you say to the, I'm just going to use the man, forgive me, men. But what do you say to the man who says, I actually participate in porn, but I don't have an addiction. It's not a problem for me. I just look at it every now and again, and I would never consider myself addicted to it. What do you say to that guy? Yeah, then stop. <laughs> you know, then stop and let's see if you're addicted. You know, if, if it's really that insignificant, then what, what benefit is it added by having it in your life? That's, that's where I would always start. Like the, the classic like or the statement like I'm not addicted or I can get rid of it whenever I want it's usually the best indication that you're more hooked on it than you realize. Um, clinically speaking, like some of the things you might look for to see if someone's addicted is, um, does it affect their day-to-day functioning? Like, are they pushing off social engagements, work commitments over it? Um, is your consumption pattern increasing either in volume? So length of time or intensity, um, are you becoming desensitized to it? So maybe, it's not providing you the same thrill that it used to, and you have to look for other things. There's all those kinds of indicators as well. But as soon as somebody says like, oh, it's just a little bit, I'm not addicted. It's like, yeah, well, you would never need to defend that unless you knew it was a deeper issue at some sort of level. So I would say stop, stop, and then we'll really see how addicted you are. Good. Okay. Second devil's advocate little statement is Mm -hmm. I watch porn so that I do not have an affair. So I'm not having an affair and I use porn in order so that in order for me not to have an affair. What would you say to that? Right. So that's kind of like saying I only snort one line of Coke so that I don't get addicted. It's like um, the, the, the design of covenant marriage is between husband and wife, man and woman, two people ordained by God. Anytime you introduce a third party, it, it deteriorates the design of God for that relationship. An affair is an obvious third party. Pornography is a much more covert third party. It's still bringing somebody else into the marriage bed. Um, so for me, it's it's one and the same more or less in that context. Okay. What would you say to a, a spouse, this could be husband or wife, who says that watching porn in our relationship actually makes our sex life better? I would say I believe it. I 100% believe it. It's pretty like... Porn is a super stimulus, so it is impossible for it to not improve your sex life. Um, talk to me in five years, because all the people I know who have brought porn into their marriage loved it at first, and actually a majority of them, not an exaggeration, a majority of them are divorced now. Mm-hmm. So that's usually what happens. Uh, porn is shown to increase uh, divorce rates by at least two to three times. So the stats aren't, aren't totally clear, but generally speaking, again, as soon as you introduce a third party into a relationship, it, um, from, I'll give a guy perspective. It really starts to condition you to experience sexual arousal apart from the person you married. So uh, once you can get that, you can just imagine how that can start to snowball if it's not really capped. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't know anybody who has really successfully bought, brought porn into a marriage and had long-term success with it. Short-term, 100%. Um, long-term, I think it's pretty detrimental. 
Yeah, no, I can attest to that in the fact that some of the women that I've coached have, I told you before in the intro, I said, you know, when we were just kind of chatting before we recorded that I've had wives who have told me like, oh, I don't mind my husband watching porn. Like it actually helps our relationship. And and I love the answer that you gave. I wasn't expecting you to say it does, you know, it absolutely <laughs> will help your sex life in the temporary, you know, in the... Yeah. In the long term, it's never going to work out. And I've seen that play out again with some of the women that I've been able to coach um, who will have issues, you know, with self-image. You know what I mean? No woman can compete with a porn star. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's just basic level. Right. Um, and nor do we want to. Like, we don't want to do all of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's to, <laughs> to get you aroused. And so I think that it's just, you know, at the basic form, it's just a bad idea. But I'm. I'm really saddened that so many Christian couples don't see this as wrong. Like they see it yeah. as it's not infidelity. If we're both consenting to it, if it's something that's helping us, then they don't really see an issue. And that's been a hard conversation to have, especially depending on where they are with their walk with the Lord. You know, the, the word that you use that is so important is surrender. That's what you said earlier, that you had to surrender at all. And, you know, I was having a conversation with someone a couple of years ago. And I said, no one wants to imagine like, you know, and they're like, oh, bring Jesus into the bedroom. Nobody wants to think about Jesus being in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but it's like at the end of the day, like, do we really think that Jesus would be OK with you guys watching porn or participating or doing whatever it is before you enter into this covenant relationship? You know, this this um, act of oneness, like it's not something that he would approve of. And so some people are um, receptive to that and then other people are not. For the Christian couple, because I wish that this was just an issue that non-believers had, but we know the stats and they're about the same Christians who are involved in porn versus non-Christians who are involved in porn. How do you think the church can help people, the church worldwide, big C, right? How can the church help people, Christians, who are wrestling with porn addictions or maybe even just porn usage? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing really is just creating safe places. And I think this is where the church has really come up short because I know there are a lot of really well-meaning guys out there who will not talk to their pastors about it or their small group leaders about it because it doesn't feel safe to do so. You know, they, they haven't been given that place where it's actually safe enough. And I, I really don't blame them in that regard. And I, I know the same is probably true for women. I'm really grateful, Dana, there's people like you who are doing this kind of coaching. Um, because I think, I think women need those places, you know, where they can talk to somebody and get the truth, but really get it in a kind and safe way. And that's my prayer for the church at large, you know, is that we have the conversations more often. Um, and I think my, my more secret prayer is that the pastors really get healed because, uh, you talked about the stats being pretty much the same inside and outside the church and between the church, uh, parishioner and the church pastor, uh, they're more or less the same as well. And so, you know, a lot of, um, shepherds of their flock, so to speak, they can't actually lead their sheep into a place of sexual integrity because they don't have access to that pasture themselves. Mm. You know, they're, they're struggling and they're not getting the help they need. And so they're not bringing in the people who could help them, uh, to begin with. So I think, I think it's, it's multifaceted, but at the end of the day, we have to create safer places and we have to keep having the conversations about it. And you know, that's why I do my podcast, the daily podcast. We try to just hit the subject as hard as we can because these conversations aren't happening and uh, we need to make up for lost time a little bit. So um, yeah, I think that's where it starts at least. Speaking of your podcast, I know it's called Unleash the Man Within. What it, who is the man within? Tell us a little bit about like your thought process behind naming it that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is really how guys get free of porn or any kind of problematic behavior in their life. They they do the inner work. All transformation happens from the inside out. And the Unleash the Man Within came from uh, the inspiration that Michelangelo had when he carved the statue of David. And when he was asked afterwards, like, how did you do that? You know, it's such a magnificent piece of work. He said, oh, it was simple. It was there all along. I just needed to release the parts that were in the way. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that he, he saw what was within and he simply chiseled the parts of what, of, that were in the way that were hindering the man. And I think it's the same way for us guys, you know, who are seeking freedom. We're seeking health. We want to grow. We want to be the person that God's made us to be. Um, he's, he's put everything within us. You know, it's all there. But it's our responsibility to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles, to get rid of the baggage from our past, the limiting beliefs, and anything else that might be hindering us. And what actually makes us qualified and competent, the reason I'm confident that every single person listening, man or woman, has it within them to be what God has called them to be, it's not because of their own skill set, their own talent, their own persona, even though I'm sure all those things are fantastic, but it's because they have Christ in their hearts. It's Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so I just know that for us, as we do the work to grow and to mature, um, we're going to get rid of that stuff that hinders us. And we're going to, we're going to allow Christ in us to shine through and become the person that God's made us to be. And that's, that's the whole essence of the podcast. So good, Cynthia. I'm thinking about people who might be listening, who they're like, I don't get down with the whole Jesus thing. Like I'm not a Christian and that might not be a motivation for them to stop. What are some maybe hidden facts or maybe some hidden dangers about porn that a lot of people might not realize? Yeah. So we talked about one of them already, which is that it does increase rates of divorce. So um, generally the general MO is that porn is short-term reward and short-term reward always comes with long-term sacrifice. Um, so you can kind of pick your poison that way, but generally speaking, if you want a long-term committed relationship, marriage or not, um, porn is going to work against that. And that's statistically demonstrated. Uh, the other thing that I'd like to talk about is, um, okay, Dana, in 2001, rates of erectile dysfunction among men under the age of 40 was 5%, which is exactly what you would expect. 5% is low. We kind of know ED is an old man's game. We've all seen the Viagra and Cialis commercials. Um, in 2021, today as we're recording this, the rates of ED in that same demographic, men under the age of 40, is reported to be as high as 33%. Wow. And the the increase started in 2001 because that was when the internet started to become mainstream. And then it spikes in 2007, which of course is when the smartphones start to become commonplace. And what's happening is, um, again, I'm speaking more to the male experience just because that's kind of the angle I come from, but uh, the women are listening, you know, you're in, included in this as well. Porn is a super stimulus. So when you grow up watching porn or you simply just watch a lot of it, it starts to condition your mind to experience a super stimulus for normal arousal. And what that means is then when you get into the bedroom and you you have what's supposed to be a normal sexual experience, your brain is not getting the level of stimulation that it's accustomed to to experience arousal. And that's why you have guys who should be in the peak of their sex lives struggling to, uh, you know, have any kind of sexual experience at all. And all of it stems back to pornography. It's internet pornography. It's the high consumption rates and everything else. Uh, another, another thing is that sex is programming people, uh, to, on how to treat each other in a sexual experience. And it causes a lot of problems. A lot of guys seek dominance, control. Um, there, a lot of pornography has violent undertones if, if it's not overtly expressed. Um, and again, it's all just conditioning 
that will then transfer later on into somebody's sex life uh, detrimentally. It's it's literally going to scar the woman um, emotionally at the very least, but possibly physically if you aren't careful. And again, it, it works against those that natural wiring we all have for long-term committed relationships. So uh, that would at least be a starting point of some of the harmful effects of porn, even if you were to tease out the morality and the religiosity. That's so good. That's so important for people to know. You know, I'm always thinking about the things that we get ourselves involved with. It's like, what's at the end of the tunnel? You know, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? There has been like links between like pedophilia and pornography because of the issues that you just said. It's being a a stimulus, right? So it's like anyone who's ever done drugs, you know that, you know, you not even necessarily illegal drugs, but just like if you've been used to taking one Advil, you know, forever, (laughs) you're going to need two when that headache comes. And so it's the same thing with porn is that it starts off with a little, I'm going to watch a a flick this week, or I'm going to watch 15 minutes on my phone or whatever it is. And then it just grows and grows and grows. And then just normal heterosexual, uh, and I'm doing air quotes for those of y'all who can't see me, just normal heterosexual (laughs) sex is not enough anymore. It's like, okay, now I have to add on this layer. I've got to add on the dominatrix layer. I've got to add on younger girls, younger looking. Now I have to add. And so it just like keeps getting like more, um, I just, you know, sadistic, if you will. And so what would you say is like at the end of that? Like if someone had to look at a pornography journey from beginning to end, like what's at the end of that tunnel that people should really be concerned with? Yeah. uh, Dana, do you know who Ted Bundy is? Does that name ring any bells? Yes. Okay. So so Ted Bundy was um, interviewed. He's a notorious serial killer for those uh, who don't know. He basically abducted and raped, um, I believe it was over 40 women mm-hmm. and, um, and eventually got caught. And he, he did eventually get interviewed or some documentary or something. And they had asked him, they said, Ted, you know, you, you, we hear about your upbringing. It sounds reasonably normal. Um, there were no indicators that you were going to become this kind of an individual. What do you attribute to, you know, being the main cause? And he said, oh, that's simple. It was pornography. I started watching pornography and he actually, I believe he used the term angry or violent pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny. A lot of the guys who come to me, Dana, they have, uh, be- they've begun to watch content or engage in activities that they never ever in a million years thought they would. Um, you know, it's the guy who has watched porn for years in his basement or on his computer or whatever, and then decides to go to a massage parlor. It's the guy who's faithfully married, watched a little bit of porn here and there, and then hired an escort or uh, had an affair with a colleague. It's um, the guy who's been watching softcore and then a bit of hardcore, but now he's watching stuff that involves other uh, other animals, you know, for lack of, uh, of a better term without being too graphic, that that is sort of the path that porn leads to. And the reason is because porn is um, it's fake intimacy. It's fast food intimacy. And that's what a lot of people are craving. But it always leaves you emptier afterwards, just like a fast food meal does when you're hungry. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people don't realize what porn is doing to them and what what needs it's actually meeting or not meeting. Um, and so that's why, you know, you, you start off innocently and then before you realize that you're in a place you never thought you'd go because you actually need it. You, you do need to feel intimacy. You need to feel connected and safe and secure. And those needs get met one way or another. I wanted to mention one more thing because, um, what you said earlier was so good. It, it is so true that a little bit, um, is just enough to get the ball rolling and then you never really know where it goes. And I know that some people in your audience are not married. 
and probably think that once they're married, if they're, you know, if they're going the Christian way, uh, they're not having sex right now, but then they'll be married, they'll have sex, and thank you, Jesus, all their problems will get taken care of. And that actually doesn't work either. Marriage is a magnifier, which means any problems you have on the front end of marriage are going to be bigger on the back end once you tie the knot. And porn is no exception. And I have a lot of people who come to me as well thinking like, you know, Sathya, I just thought once I got married, I'd be good to go. I'd finally have my sexual outlet. There'd be no guilt or shame. But the years of conditioning and the coping mechanism that was developed all those years is still there. So sure, the first six months, the first year, even two years of marriage are fine. They have some disagreements, but no major fights. But then as soon as you start to hit real friction in the marriage, um, those coping mechanisms are all buried in the, in the subconscious and they'll come right to the surface as soon as you need them. And that's often what we see happening with our clients. So mm. yeah, it's a slippery slope. Oh man, marriage is a magnifier. Like we could stay on that little topic for a few, few episodes. That's so, so true. Well, I want people to know about you and all the things that you're doing. I know you have a book coming up in February called The Last Relapse. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that book and then tell us a little bit about how people can find you. I want them to go and I'll link to all of this in the show notes, your, your podcast, Unleash the Man Within. Um, I know that that's a daily podcast and I know you've got your free resource. I just want you to be able to share all the things. (laughs) (laughs) of how people can find out about you and how they can work with you. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff. So I'll explain the heart behind the book real quick um, and then explain what I would really like your listeners to do. So the book, The Last Relapse, it's it's very simple. I have a system for helping guys get free of porn. Um, I've had the privilege of working with, you know, doctors, athletes, um, accountants, uh, PhDs and college students, everything in between. And we've seen a lot of success with the system. So I basically... Well, as I said earlier, you know, when I struggled, I wanted to help as many people as possible in this area. So the book was basically taking the secret sauce, everything about our system, putting it into a format that's just accessible for everyone. They don't have to pay for my coaching or my program or anything. They can get the system right there in their hands. So that comes out February 2nd, uh, 2-2-22. That's the release date. Easy to remember. Um, what I would love for your listeners to do, whether you're male, female, married or single is to go to ultimaterecoveryguide.com and that is a smaller ebook that I wrote. It's completely free of charge and it basically talks about the five classic mistakes people make when they do try to get porn out of their life and it talks about the five best practices to kind of uh, replace them with instead. So if there's somebody listening, uh, either you are trying to get free yourself and maybe need a framework or you have somebody in your life that you want to see get free and you just want to understand the process a bit better and what's required, the Ultimate Recovery Guide is probably the best place to start. And that's available at ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Thank you so much, Sophia. We will definitely link to all of that in the show notes of this podcast. And this has been an amazing conversation. I just want to kudos to you for doing the work to get free and to stay free. And, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to be free. He does not want us to be bound by porn or anything else that might try to beset us. So thank you so very much for being a guest on the show today. Thanks for having me, Dana. This is a pleasure. Okay, that was legit one of the best conversations I have ever had with anyone who talks about porn. That was such great information. And I hope that you guys were taking notes or making little mental notes or coming back to 
things that he said that you're going to ponder on. Let me just tell you that there is literally no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care if you just watch porn before you listen to this podcast. There is no condemnation. And you need to know that because if you feel condemned, if you feel like he said, if you feel like you're a pervert, you're the scum of the earth, why can't I get anything right? If you keep treating yourself that way and if you keep believing that about yourself, you will always struggle in this area. Now, because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that understanding, that revelation is what should give you the desire to kick this habit. There is nothing good about pornography, nothing at all. There is nothing good that you can salvage from it. And so you might be thinking, I only look at this once in a while. I'm a single woman who just kind of needs a little. Listen, there is nothing good about pornography. Nothing at all. So I want to highly encourage you, if I was in front of you, I would put my hands on your shoulders and shake you and say, stop it. Stop watching it. Stop feeding the monster. One thing that we didn't talk about on this episode that maybe I'll bring Cynthia back for part two is how pornography funds human trafficking. And that's something that you should care about. That is something that we should all war against. And so there is no judgment. There is no shame. But please, for the sake of yourself, for the people that you love or will eventually love, stop looking at it. Just get it out of your life, whatever you have to do. And there are people like Cynthia and others who can help you to overcome this. He's written a new book, which we talked about in the podcast. It's going to be available on 2-2-22, which is the greatest date. And it is called The Last Relapse. And I'm really excited for you all to be able to get your hands on that book. And then I want you, especially if you are struggling with porn or you know someone who is, to check out his podcast. It's called Unleash the Man Within. It's a daily show. So there's tons of value there all the way from A to Z, that you can listen to his show and glean lots and lots of wisdom from. And then finally, we mentioned it again, is download the Ultimate Recovery Guide. That's his free ebook. It's a free resource. I'm actually going to link to that on my website as a free resource for people because I'm serious about people getting free from this. There are way too many marriages that have been destroyed. There are too many families that have been torn apart. And this is something really, guys, that we need to just really settle. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. It's not helpful. It doesn't sustain anything and it doesn't enhance. So I know that that's a hard word, but I hope that you've received it in the spirit in which it's been given, which is a little spanking a little spanking and love because I love you and I want you to be free. So thank you guys so much for listening to this show. If you loved it, make sure that you send Cynthia some love and myself by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear what your thoughts are. You can always DM me on Instagram at Dana Shea Williams. And of course, keep in mind that you can download the show notes to this podcast at realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 70. And so thank you guys so much for being here today. It's been such a privilege and an honor for me to have such a bold, but very important conversation with you. So until next time, we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.
Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.